0: Beloved congregation of the Lord, Luke in the first chapter is surely one of the most memorable, precious, and beautiful portions of the Word of God. As Dr. Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records for us that earliest history of the coming of the new covenant era with the conception and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are things which the proud of the world despise for their simplicity. And yet for the godly, the truths revealed here not only give comfort unto their soul, they are truths for which they have been prepared to contend for, to fight for, and to die even. So where the church has confessed the truths of These things is typically centered upon this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is this child born of the Virgin Mary, whom we heard last time shall be called the son of the highest? Well, at different points in church history, this particularly came up for debate and contention. So much so that in the year 451, there was a council called the the Council of Chalcedon. And they were seeking to sort out exactly what is it that we confess about who Jesus is. On the one hand, you had the Nestorians. They were saying, well, you know, you have basically two Jesuses. There's Jesus, the eternal son of God. And over here you have Jesus, the man, and they're they're two different persons. Over there you'd have the Apollinarians, and what they would say is, no, 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 there's, there's only one Christ, there's only one person, but he's not a true man, he has no true human nature, he's only God, only the Son of God. And on the third hand, he'd have the Eutychians. The Eutychians would say, well, really, he's neither God nor man. You see, the two are blended together. A new nature has been created, neither God nor man, but really, we could say kind of a demigod. And so it was that the, the godly pastors at the Council of Chalcedon in that great synod sought to set forth the truth, and before We begin by way of introduction. Let me read to you their short confession concerning the person of Christ. They said this, We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood truly God and truly man of a rational soul and body, coessential with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to the manhood and all things like unto us without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead and in these latter ages for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary." The Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted nor divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, the only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. I encourage you to look that up on your own time and see how beautifully that sets forth that balance. There's one person, the eternal Son of God who without relinquishing his divine nature has taken to himself a human nature. So now the one Jesus Christ is both God and man. And where uh, we would hear that, perhaps much of that we would uh, see is very common to the other creeds and confessions we confess. But that one word might stand out to us, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God the mother of God. Oh, is that really a right way to speak of Mary? Of course, the Roman Catholics, taking that, have given Mary such an inflated uh, role in redemptive history. They regard her as having continuing authority over Christ and indeed being the object of their worship and prayer and even a co-mediator in their salvation wretched blasphemies, which the true church rejects. And so, perhaps from the Greek it would be more accurately translated, uh, the uh, God-bearer or the birther of God. For indeed, the, the person who was born while true man was also true God. And so it is that where we come to these sections of Scripture... We do well to remember them, giving due regard unto the honor bestowed unto this woman, the God-bearer, but also ensuring that all things do not uh, shatter our gaze, but rather fix our gaze upon the person of Christ. So with that introduction, let us now consider the God-bearer comforted, the God-bearer comforted. I wish to consider verses 39 to 45 of Luke chapter 1, as we see how it was that the Lord gave a unique comfort unto this woman. We will see first her journey, second her meeting, and third her blessing. Her journey, her meeting, and her blessing. Would you read with me again verse 39, and Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. Well, children, quite a lot has happened to this young woman, Mary, hasn't it? There she was just going about her business when all of a sudden the angel appeared to her. Said amazing things. Blessed art thou among women. Thou shalt conceive and bear a son. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Holy Ghost shall overshadow thee. He will sit on the throne of his father David. Great and glorious promises. And the word of response from Mary had been this, that um, the word of the Lord will be done but one of the other things that had been spoken by the angel was that she should go to her cousin Elizabeth, her cousin Elizabeth. In verse uh, 36, you'll remember, that's what the angel said, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for with her, who was called barren. Now this Angel Gabriel, he's been quite busy, you remember. He revealed to um, Zechariah that, that, that his wife Elizabeth would give birth to this baby, who would be the forerunner, John the Baptist. And now she's, he's rushed over um, now to this woman, Mary, and given her this revelation. And Mary, she gets up, she arises And she makes her way over there. Now, there's a couple of things that we might ask about this. Well, if it's the case that Mary, she's coming from the line of David, which means she's from the tribe of Judah. then how is it? Well, she could be the cousin of someone who's from the lineage of Aaron, who's a priest, a wife of a priest, I should say, from the tribe of Levi. Well, the commentators seem to suggest that there's a lot of indication that these two tribes were intermarrying, and some measure of that was permitted. And so, however, it worked. This woman, Mary, she has Elizabeth, her older cousin, as a relative. And God, through his messenger, the angel, said, I want you to make your way over to Elizabeth and speak with her where it says that she's going into the hill country, well, that would uh, refer not only to the city of Judah itself, so Jerusalem, um, but a particular city in in Judah, which is not Jerusalem, but Hebron. So it's in the, the country of Judah, but it's not the main city. It's rather Hebron. And we know that, Because if you consult Joshua chapter 21, it was Hebron that was especially delegated to be the special city where the priests would live. And it was a mountainous area, and so it was called um, this, the place of the hills or the hill country. Now Mary, she's making her way there, and I want you to put yourself in her shoes There she is. She's a young woman. She's a virgin. She's only been engaged to her husband Joseph. And all of a sudden, this heavenly messenger has told her that she is now to have a child. Now, do you think possibly this would give her a certain sense of fear that perhaps she would not be completely believed? Well, you see, Mom and Dad, you see, I have this baby, but you see, it's not what you think. You see, an angel came to me and told me that I would be giving birth as a virgin and that it was the promised Messiah. Well, while that would be true in her case, it may be a bit difficult for others to believe. Indeed, where you compare this to Matthew chapter 1, you saw that, however it was, word somehow gets to her husband Joseph is not to please. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. So Joseph has heard that she is pregnant and her his immediate thought is well I don't want to put her to public shame so I'm going to put her away I'm going to basically uh, remove the contract that would have us to be engaged and married and so you can imagine whether he heard this from her personally or whether he heard this from other relatives of Mary. Certainly, at any rate, one person does not believe Mary or certainly thinks the worst of her, at least before he is instructed by the angel himself, by a dream. But at that point, perhaps Mary has not actually heard that Joseph has received her. Perhaps, indeed, she has heard that he plans to reject her or suspects the same, and, and so for her, it was probably a fearful thing, a fearful thing to walk this path of faith which the Lord had laid for her, trusting that all things are possible with God, that God has a good reason. Sometimes it can be the case that where the Lord even does a great and a glorious thing in our lives, it comes with discomfort, it comes with misunderstandings maybe even uh, a lack of reception from those who we most love. I remember hearing the story of one of my relatives who was in a very liberal um, Presbyterian church when she came under conviction of sin. And because it was a very liberal Presbyterian Church, she would go to all these different people and begin to ask, what can I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And, and the response that she kept on getting, well, you need to be a good person. You need to obey the commandments of God. And that gave her no peace and no comfort. So she kept on asking, kept on asking until she found an elderly man who actually understood the gospel, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He has suffered and died for sinners that they may have life and forgiveness and justification. And so it was that even within the context of her family and friends and church the Lord doing a great work in her life she could find not one person to understand until the Lord brought the right person along her path. So it was with this Mary May it please the Lord that this place, this church, would be such a place where questioners and seekers and those with whom the Lord has begun a good work would find not a cold ear and an unreceptive heart, but rather the warm embrace of love coming alongside those to testify also what the Lord has done with ourselves. And bringing them, more importantly, to the Christ himself. Well, we see something of this journey that this young woman takes on her own. But then we see in the second place, not only her journey, but her meeting. Her meeting. And there in verse 40, And entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now you remember, children, that there's probably a good reason why Zacharias was not the one who opened the door when Mary came to to his house. You see, he'd been made deaf, And mute because of his unbelief of the angel's message concerning his wife having a son. And so probably he didn't even hear Mary knock on the door when she came or otherwise when she arrived at the house. And so it's actually Elizabeth who comes and greets her. And there you have it, and I want you to picture it with me. There you have this elderly woman, a very important woman, because she's the wife of a priest. And there you have a cousin, a relative, yes, but coming from a different kind of family, one that's poor. And she just being a young woman, an unmarried woman, who now has this baby. And there is this meeting, this bring together of the two. And I wondered, was there a concern about Mary? Will will this relative understand it all? Will she understand what I'm going through? Well, What happens is that there is indeed this meeting where they come together. And it's a most joyful one. It's a joyful one. You notice that as soon as she arrives, the baby inside, it leaps. It leaps within her. And you uh, women who've had children, you know what it's like to have that, that little um, human being inside you. and The very first time that you get a kick or you get uh, a little bit of a push or, or a nudge from a living uh, baby inside you, it's a precious thing that the Lord does. This is no ordinary thing. It must have been a very dramatic thing and an unusual uh, kind of thing that happened. And and more to the point, we're told that this comes exactly in conjunction with Elizabeth being filled with the Holy Ghost. Maybe you remember uh, how it was that the angel had prophesied concerning this baby Back in Luke chapter 1 and verse 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Now it's very fitting in one way that John the Baptist, even before he's born, he's already so excited at the coming of Jesus. Children, can you imagine that? This little baby, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is now so excited about the reality that Jesus has come, it's almost like he's throwing a little worship service right there in his mother. He's he's leaping for joy. That little child who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think that... It's going to be very consistent with the rest of his ministry as we're going to see it. The, the ministry of John the Baptist was not about drawing attention to himself. No good ministry is about drawing attention to the minister. No good Christian is going to be drawing attention to him or herself. It's all about exalting in Christ. John the Baptist was all about this. He must increase and I must decrease. Prepare ye a way for the Lord. That was what John the Baptist was about, even from his earliest time. But I do think that there's something, uh, or rather a few things perhaps we could draw from the fact that this uh, little baby had the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, The first thing that I would say would be to you children, you children. Now, you might be thinking, you might be thinking that the things that we're talking about, when I was reading from the Council of Chalcedon, maybe you thought, wow, that's way too complicated. The pastor, he's, he's talking way too complicated right now. Maybe some of the other things I talk about, sometimes it's hard to understand. But you know what? We want you to know something, okay? We believe your place is here with the people of God. We believe that children have a special place in worshiping and exalting Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ cares about your worship. In Psalm chapter 8, children, listen to what this says. O Lord, our Lord, How excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies. That thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Even the mouths of babies can praise God. Even the tiniest little children they are not too young to need a Savior, nor are they too young to possess a Savior if the Lord does a great work to bring them to Himself. And so, you children, I hope that you are expecting, I hope that you are desiring the Holy Spirit to put in your heart that praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that your parents, your grandchildren, Grandparents and all the other people in our church family, we pray for that. Not only that you would learn the Psalms, not only that you would memorize those so you can sing, but also that you can sing from the heart with the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe, that the Holy Spirit is at work amongst his people, where his people seek the face of Jesus Christ. There is Jesus Christ, saving sinners, even from the littlest and tenderest of ages. I remember I was interacting with a Baptist this week who has really insisted on this point. He said, well, look at the new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31. It says, they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. That means no children allowed. Children can't know the Lord. Well, I read in my Bible that indeed children... Can know the Lord before they can know anything else, because the Lord Jesus has the same power to save people who don't have a fully developed mind as people who don't have a fully developed mind. Isn't that why it's a precious hope for people who have disabilities, who otherwise are not developed in the same way, that the Lord Jesus has the same ability to save them as any other sinner? I love also how this gives unique hope to parents. I think I already spoke about that in our previous sermon on Luke 1. But there is a unique comfort because sometimes parents have a special burden where they they lose a child in infancy and they they don't know, well, well, is it possible that child could be in heaven where they weren't old enough to have faith? I love what the first head of doctrine of the Canons of Dort in Article 17 says. It says, since we are to judge of the will of God from his word, which testifies that the children of believers are holy, not by nature, but in virtue of the covenant of grace, in which they, together with their parents, are comprehended, godly parents have no reason to doubt of the election and salvation of their children, whom it pleased God to call out of this life in their infancy. I remember what that has been like to to reflect upon that, that, that even children that we've never once met because they were received of the Lord before they could be born, how we would meet them in heaven and how they would immediately enter into the joys of Christ even without passing through this veil of tears. There's cause for thanksgiving there, cause for comfort. It's not something that should be neglected from this text either. So we've seen something of this uh, woman's journey and something of her meeting. But now I want to speak here about, uh, third, her blessing. Her blessing. Now, I want you to to track with the story here. There is Mary, and she's come to the house of Zechariah. And she's been greeted by this older woman, Elizabeth. And it doesn't seem as though Mary's had a chance to really explain anything. She didn't get to say, well, you see, there was this angel, and, and he said this, and he said that, and what do you think about it? No, it, it seems like immediately when Elizabeth is greeted by Mary, and Mary greets Elizabeth, the Holy Ghost takes over. The Holy Spirit Here in verse 41, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in thine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believeth, and which shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Well, you see, there is the, the text that would support the decision of the Council of Chalcedon to call uh, Mary the Mother of God, or the, or the God bearer. She's called there in verse 43 the mother of my Lord. You see this whole blessing, it centers upon the person of Christ. Elizabeth, she can refer to this baby as her Lord. And it's the same way David prophesied in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Jesus Christ is Lord. Even at that point, before he had been uh, baptized, before he began to preach, already he is the true Lord, not having laid aside his deity or his authority, but having veiled that, having hidden that in a helpless little baby. The mystery and the glory and the miracle of the incarnation of jesus christ it all centers upon christ you see blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb maybe you're familiar with a practice called hail mary hail mary well this is the sort of thing roman catholics do they take the the words of this chapter out of context and they and they say hey hail mary because well it's in the bible right well The devil can quote the Bible, too, and so the devil has taught Roman Catholics to abuse these texts in a way that would fill Mary with great grief and sorrow if she were cognizant of it. But no, it's not about that at all. It's not about elevating Mary. Yeah, she has a position of honor among all women. She is the one whom God chose in order to be the mother of Jesus Christ. But it's It's all the blessing. It flows from Christ. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. You see, in this womb is blessing. In this child is blessing. God delights in his son, and he delights in all those who are in his son by faith. It is through this, the seed, that that all the nations will be blessed. The seed of Abraham, the seed of David, the seed of Mary. Seed of the woman. There is blessing to be found in Christ. and, And all blessings, it radiates out through him. That is what we remember this time of year, traditionally in the Reformed churches, that Christ Jesus came to bestow blessings unto men. And were it not that he had humbled himself and taken the form of a servant, there could be no blessings For the likes of you and I. Were there no manger. There could be no cross. Were there no cross. There could be no empty tomb. Were there no empty tomb. There could be no heaven. For the likes of you and I. It all radiates radiates out through here. The blessing bestowed in Christ. I think there's something about. Real humility here, isn't there? Real humility. You see, this older woman could have maybe envied the younger. Why wasn't I chosen to be the mother of the Lord? After all, I'm the, the wife of a priest. This is just the wife of a, of a poor carpenter. Or espoused to be a, a poor carpenter. And yet, what is her sentiment here? He says, she says here in verse 43 And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's humbled even to be in the presence of Mary, the mother of her Lord. Matthew Henry here has a really good word. Listen to what he says. Elizabeth was the wife of a priest, and in years, yet she grudges not that her kinswoman, who is many years younger than she, In every way, her inferior should have the honor of conceiving in her virginity and being the mother of the Messiah. Whereas the honor put upon her was much less she rejoices in it and is well pleased as her son was afterwards that she who cometh after her was preferred before her. Note, he says, while we cannot but own that we are more favored of God than we deserve, let us by no means envy that others are more highly favored than we are. Isn't that such a precious Christian grace where you can rejoice in the blessings of others, not trying to tear other people down or envy or strife, but to see that wherever Christ bestows any blessing unto the household of faith, it is something that deserves thanksgiving and Rejoicing. We note here that this all comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. This woman, Elizabeth, she spoke all this, spoke all this without having heard a witness from Mary herself. The same Lord God who communicated through the angel now communicates through the woman Elizabeth by the Holy Spirit, testifying. That there is blessing for this woman who has believed. Verse 45 And blessed is she that believeth, for there shall be a performance of those things which told her from the Lord. The comfort that Mary received was this that her faith was not in vain, that God is faithful, that nothing shall be impossible with God. Where faith is first born in our souls, or as it were, Christ is conceived in our hearts and Christ is in us. Sometimes that first measure of faith is weak and flickering. Sometimes it can be that we are more distressed and anxious than before we had any measure of faith. Where is it? That that faith comes to a sure and sound comfort. Whereby we know that we are Christ. It is this, that you rest in the faithfulness of God. God has spoken, dear one. If you have fled unto Christ today, then you have every reason to take great comfort. Christ will not deny himself. God will not forsake you nor leave you. For he has bound himself unto his solemn word and promised that all those who are in Christ are his. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And I hope where you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if, if you're in that category this morning, that something of the amazing faithfulness of God would shine forth. Here is a simple story, We may think, a simple story of two women meeting, but would it not be a glorious thing if it would be the occasion of your meeting of Christ? Christ did not consider the leaving of the angels of heaven and his throne of glory to be in this humble woman's womb. He did not consider that to be a burden. Why is it a burden for you to trust in this gracious Jesus who comes so close unto you? Will you despise the faithfulness of God? Will you cast his word aside as a reproach and in scorn? May it not be so. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is faithful, and in his faithfulness we will find blessing. Amen.